This is Season 2 of Mobile Suit Breakdown, a podcast about Japanese sci-fi mega-franchise Mobile Suit Gundam for new fans, old fans, and not-yet-fans, where we watch, analyze, and review all 40 years of the iconic anime in the order it was made. We research its influences, examine its themes, and discuss how each piece of the Gundam canon fits within the changing context in Japan and the world from 1979 to today. This is Mobile Suit Breakdown, and we are your hosts in a very special Q&A episode. We ask the listeners uh, from all across email, social media, and our patron discord to submit any questions they had for us over the course of a couple of weeks, and we have picked some of our favorites to answer here today. We got a ton of questions, too many to be able to answer all of them, but we're going to do our best. And where possible, we've combined similar questions so that we can answer as many of them as possible. We apologize if we aren't able to get to your question. We've also broken the questions up into categories. So we're gonna start with personal questions. Our first question, I think, is a very insightful one, and our answers will tell you a lot about us as people. Nina, this question comes from Thunder Okami. What is your favorite kebab? Oh, uh, I'm all about the classic lamb kebab, but with every possible like vegetable and topping and sauce. <laughs> I'm a put everything on it kind of person. Lots of hot sauce, lots of yogurt sauce, nice. pickles, everything. Kebab is a tricky subject for me. Um, although I'm not vegetarian, I do follow a rule where I won't eat any animal that I wouldn't be willing to personally kill myself. And I wouldn't kill a lamb, so I don't eat lamb. Which means for me, kebab is pretty much going to be chicken, and it's going to be with the hot sauce on. Listener Rob B. would like to know, how do the finances work for us <laughs> doing this full time? He mentions, for instance, our Patreon income is very transparent. Anybody can check it. But that doesn't sound like enough money for two people in New York to live on. And it's not. The simple answer is that while we believe the podcast will eventually cover all of our expenses, it doesn't right now. We both have side jobs. Nina teaches calligraphy and I teach martial arts. And we have savings from our prior lives before we started the podcast. And the current podcast income. Between all of those, we cover our expenses. And we eagerly look forward to the day when the podcast is able to pay for everything on its own. Rob did wonder whether or not we have any sponsors. Clearly, we don't have advertisements. We'd like to keep the podcast ad-free. While it would be very tempting to get a sponsor, any sponsor is then going to demand some level of editorial control <laughs> over what you produce. We like to be able to speak our more or less unrestricted thoughts. Without having to worry about whether they're going to offend a sponsor and cost us our livelihood. So, our only sponsor is you, our listeners. We also have a small merch store through Threadless. It doesn't generate very much income right now. Uh, we have not been great about promoting it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> visit our website and there is a link at the bottom of the page. Uh, check it out. See if there's any merch you want. And we're going to work on getting some more exciting merchandise options in the future. Toby F. asks, 
How are you two related to each other? Are you brother and sister, husband and wife? Are you like Shar and Lala, which, hmm. Or are you both just Haros in disguise? And the answer is obviously that we are both Haros in disguise. But also that we're married. <laughs> this question cracked me up because... I love that our dynamic is basically two people who are very close to each other. And other than that, it's a mystery. But we have known each other a very long time. Very long. This next one is for Nina specifically. Marcus asks, how did you learn Japanese? Marcus lives in Japan and is having some trouble learning it. So he's looking for some tips. He also asks if there's any chance of a spin-off podcast for those who are learning Japanese via Gundam. I started studying Japanese as an undergrad and studied it all through college, although I don't think I was a particularly good student. Uh, I think I'm pretty good with languages and I have a good ear, uh, which helps considerably, it turns out. And then after college, proceeded to forget most of what I had learned. And now most of my studying and practice comes from a little study group I have with a friend. We use a couple of textbooks and some JLPT prep books. And then speaking practice with my calligraphy teacher, who is 93 years old and Japanese, and basically all of my communication with her is in Japanese. Nina undersells herself a little bit. This is actually the classic scenario where Nina has literally forgotten more about Japanese than I ever learned. My biggest tip would be to find someone you can study with. It keeps you honest <laughs> about your study schedule. And it means that even if the person you're studying with is not a native speaker, there are going to be things that they grasp more easily than you do and things that you grasp more easily and explaining it helps solidify it in your mind. There are a lot of times when having a study buddy is incredibly helpful. It's funny you should ask about a spinoff podcast because that is actually our next Patreon goal. When we get to $2,000 pledged per month, I am going to do a monthly mini episode about something translation or Japanese language related, uh, and that will be a patron exclusive. When I say mini episode, I'm thinking five to 15 minutes. Uh, so nowhere near our regular episode length, but a nice bonus and supplement to what we're already doing. All right, that wraps up personal questions because we all know you don't actually want to know about us as people. <laughs> you want to know our Gundam takes. So this next question for Tom is from LD Raku. What is your favorite Gundam series? This is a really hard question to answer. There's a lot of Gundam. And while I enjoy watching basically all of it, looking at it the way I do now after having made the podcast for a year... It's hard not to have my preferences skewed by which shows I think best execute their premises, which ones are the most true to the themes of Gundam, and to take into account which ones just squander all of their potential. That being said, I think the one I enjoy watching the most is the 8th MS team. I don't know that it's the best Gundam show. I don't know that it's the one I would recommend to the most people, but it's the one I enjoy watching the most. And that's got to count for something. LD Raku also wanted to know what my favorite Gundam scene is. And Charlie G asked me if I had a favorite episode so far and what it was. I couldn't possibly pick a favorite episode. <laughs> Sorry. However, I do have a favorite scene. And it's Mirai giving the brush off to her ex-fiance <laughs> and slowly, sadly floating away from him as he calls her name. Majestic. I particularly enjoy scenes where 
They like remember that they're in low gravity or zero G and do something interesting with it. Because a lot of times it doesn't really factor into the scene composition. But when it does, it's always striking and fun. There was also a scene on the bridge where Kai is upside down just because he can be. I appreciated that. (laughs) (laughs) Quinage wanted to know why I think that Gundam has had such a hard time catching on in the West compared to other large franchises from Japan and how I think that could be rectified. At this point, Gundam in the United States, I can't really speak to the West as a whole, but in the United States, Gundam is laboring under two completely different burdens. The first one is that it's a 40-year-old franchise that has never really caught on here, and most of the foundational parts of the franchise are not available. You can't stream First Gundam anywhere in the United States, at least not legally. Ditto for Zeta. Char's Counterattack is going to be in theaters for one day in December, but if you haven't seen First Gundam and Zeta and Double Zeta, it's not accessible unless you're already a fan. On the other hand, the one Gundam that really was a smash hit here in the U.S. was Wing. And Wing is great in its way, but it was very much of its time and it's kind of goofy and You know, people remember the weirdness of Wing, and they think all of Gundam is like that. So Gundam is coming in with so much baggage that to get a new fan is going to be really difficult. And I think a big part of the reason Gundam has been doing better in the last couple of years is because things like Unicorn, Iron-Blooded Orphans, and Build Fighters have been more accessible, both in that they can be watched and also in that you need very little preparation in order to be able to understand them. I was going to bring up IBO, Iron-Blooded Orphans, because that one was available either shortly after its release in Japan or as a simulcast. It was on Hulu, so it was easy to watch. It was a new and independent Gundam universe, right? Mm -hmm. And so there is no other series you need to have watched for context. And was the right story at the right time, (laughs) as so many of these things are? Yeah, that's a big part of it. (laughs) The more time we spend with the original series, I think they're really interesting. I think they have a lot of value. But if I were 12, I would find them kind of dull. And I wouldn't really understand the characters or why they were doing the various things they were doing. Yeah, totally. As for how to rectify it, at this point in 2019, there's not a roadmap for how to do this. Ten years ago, I would have said, put it on TV. That's the only way you can do it. Take a relatively new Gundam series that doesn't require any background and put it on Cartoon Network, put it on TV so that lots of people can see it. That is the formula that created the media juggernaut that is Dragon Ball Z or Naruto. They were on TV. People could watch them. People who weren't already anime fans would just encounter them. And maybe that would still work. But in the streaming era... I'm not sure, but I think the no-brainer for Bandai is put all of (laughs) the old Gundam on the internet streaming in the U.S. All of it. Make it accessible today. And I think the solution is to do what theoretically Gundam is at its best doing, though I don't know how well it's necessarily handling current issues. Gundam is at its best when it's commenting on what's going on right now when it's coming out. So deal with what's going on now. Deal with the sense of alienation young people feel. Deal with the aging society crises. Deal with low birth rates. Deal with environmental issues. Deal with gender issues and sexuality 
Uh, I don't know that anybody's going to do that. I don't know if at this point Gundam is so profitable, they are no longer allowed to take the risks that they took early on. Uh, that happens to a lot of series. <laughs> yeah. They can be much more adventurous in the first season or two, but once they get famous, suddenly there's this pressure not to irritate anyone. And I think that's a big problem for Gundam at the moment and going forward. It is very much under the thumb of and existing for the benefit of all of the sorts of people that the early Gundam shows really hated. But Nina, from what you're describing, it sounds like you want Darling in the Gundam, but good. Yes. Revolutionary girl Utena, but Gundams. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to that. Hey, Yurikuma Arashi, there are already bear guys. Tom <laughs> almost spat taked just now. How do you know about bear guys? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. We had a few different questions from Tito Bandito, Lucas, and Dylan about our favorite mobile suits, mobile suit aesthetics we like, and things of that nature. So, Nina, if you could pilot any mobile suit, what would it be? I still have to go with the Gaplant. It made such an impression on me in its brief flying scenes, but uh, the way it transforms, the way it maneuvers, the way all the different pieces of it move independently and with each other looked so cool that... Uh, yeah, if I were going to learn to pilot one mobile suit, that would be the one. Nice. Even though we don't know what happened to Rosamia. She's probably dead. We'll never see her again. One question also asked us to effectively design in our minds the ideal mobile suit for us. And while that's kind of a big, <laughs> a big question, and I'm not going to get into all the details here. Can I just say it would have a bleeping seatbelt? <laughs> Harness something. No smashing my face into the console for me. <laughs> the next big group of questions have to do with hypothetical uh, Gundam Side stories, follow-ups, recreations, rewritings uh, by various different studios, designers, <laughs> other creators, and creatives that we enjoy. These questions come collectively from FZ Burner, Turlook, Thunder Okami, Thomas G, and Steve B. So we're going to take all of these questions together and treat them as one big question. How would we set up our ideal Gundam series? In terms of writers, I'm always going to bias towards things that I've read recently and really enjoyed. Can you imagine a Gundam series written by Ursula K. Le Guin? That's my answer too, actually. <laughs> it would be incredible. With some additional shout outs to Ada Palmer, who already writes books that are certainly influenced by <laughs> Gundam. I don't know if she's ever written a Gundam fanfic. I bet it's great. <laughs> I'm going to drill a little bit deeper on Ursula Le Guin because the reason I picked her is not because I just read one of her books like Nina did, but her works very consistently deal with issues of gender and sexuality, with issues of the moral development of a person, as well as their moral compromise and their efforts to live with their own mistakes. That's all classic Gundam stuff. She also writes science fiction and fantasy in a variety of different hypothetical worlds. I think she could handle a Gundam alternate universe. Beautiful prose. I love the way she writes. And to explain the Ada Palmer answer in a little more depth, uh, she is someone who is very familiar with anime and manga. She's done a lot of research and study about it. She runs an Osama Tezuka page 
that has tons of commentary and research on it. It's like the resource in English <laughs> online. Her books deal a lot with history, with philosophy, with the development of ideas over time, with how does warfare work in a modern world where each new weapon is you know, exponentially more damaging than the last. There's also very interesting treatment of gender, of morality, of what redemption means, of what remorse or paying your debt to society means. I mean, bury the lead, why don't you? Didn't her acknowledgments for one of her books include Tomino? Yes. I only caught one direct reference to Gundam when I first read them because I hadn't watched very much Gundam at that point. Uh, she has said that there are lots, lots, <laughs> lots more for a close reader to find. So with the writing taken care of, let's talk about who would actually animate and direct this project. One of the questions asked us to pick a classic U.S. golden age of animation animator who we would like to work on Gundam. And we didn't really have an answer to that. But there was one U.S. animator that we thought would be a really good fit for the Gundam universe. Tom's letting me have this one, but it was really his idea. And then I went, oh, yes. And that is Don Bluth. Because no one does, yeah, this nightmare fuel is for children, <laughs> quite like Don Bluth. Uh, we also bonded when we first met over both being Titan AE fans. We are few but mighty, we Titan AE fans. And so beyond films like, you know, The Secret of Nim, which is beautifully animated and horrifying and has adventure and huge forces which cannot be swayed or affected. Well, which we think cannot be swayed or affected. <laughs> We've also seen Don Bluth do sci-fi and do it well. And a lot of his stories do deal with small, weak-seeming people trapped in horrifying situations. The struggle of a few people to survive in a dangerous world. Well, and the struggle to affect events that seem unaffectable, that seem completely outside of your control. Also beautiful animation. That too. And like Tomino, he's made a string of critically acclaimed but commercially unsuccessful animation features. So it feels like a good fit in that regard too. But besides having Don Bluth on the project, I would also like to bring in a couple of other people from the anime world. First of all, most importantly, probably lead director on the whole project, Ikuhara Kunihiko, the director of Revolutionary Girl Utsuna, Yurikuma Arashi, Sarazan Mai, Mawadu Penguin Drum, and the best season of Sailor Moon. Part of me was tempted to say just bring Tomino back. I love when Tomino does Gundam, but it's time for a generational transition from one old weirdo to one slightly less old, but definitely more weird weirdo. And a lot of people wanted to know, what would this hypothetical Gundam be about? What would we want to see them tackle? And if we want to see gender and sexuality tackled, there's nobody better than Ikuhara. Ikuhara's entire body of work is also, like Tomino's, stuffed full of what is clearly a lot of carefully thought out very meaningful imagery and references and meditations, all of which is also very opaque and difficult to understand. And which he refuses to explain. See, it's perfect. Now, final layer to this, directing mecha scenes is a very particular skill, one that Bluth and Ikuhara have never demonstrated any ability to do. They might be able to, but rather than Expecting them to handle that, I would like to bring in a couple of assistant directors to handle those specific aspects. And for that, I want 
Ida Umanosuke, who was the director for the second half of the 8th MS team, and Takayama Fumihiko, who was the director for 0080 War in the Pocket. Nina hasn't seen either of those, so I'm not going to say anything more about them, except if you've watched them, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I do think that that's essential. I do think the idea of bringing on someone whose specific strength is directing mecha scenes, pretty high priority. A few listeners had questions about Nina's true feelings about Gundam and how she felt when she first encountered it. So, Nina, this question comes from Quinage. Before beginning this project, what was your impression of Gundam? Did you think the show was nothing but, wow, cool robot, with a thin plot serving only as an excuse for more fights? And if yes, has your mind changed? It's difficult to remember exactly how I felt about it, except that it didn't really hold any interest for me. Uh, Mecha design was not something that I cared about. Most of these shows are not really advertised in a way that accentuates anything but <laughs> the mecha. And so I just sort of thought it was a shonen-y, action-y, like personal growth and adventures and fighting kind of thing. I was not aware <laughs> of the deeply tragic aspects or the social commentary. I do find it much more interesting than I expected to find it. Uh, when we got into the project, there was a sense of like, okay, we're going to watch some and see if we think we can actually do anything with this. Like, we have to watch a little and see, is there anything to talk about here? Because I wasn't sure there would be. And then it turns out (laughs) there is, in fact, lots to talk about. We haven't run out of stuff to talk about yet. So, Nina, this question comes from Ms. Les. 1.5 seasons in, do you actually love Gundam? Or is it more that you love the podcast itself? I would definitely say this is a case of loving the podcast more than I love the show, at least at the moment. Zeta hasn't connected with me in the way that First Gundam did or parts of a handful of other things that I've seen have. As I've mentioned to some of you, I did catch a few episodes of Iron-Blooded Orphans before we started the project uh, and really liked that. I think I saw the first part of Unicorn and liked it. So I think it's going to vary series to series. Uh, And while The podcast has finally started to feel like a job rather than a fun vacation. (laughs) Uh, It is a job that I love. All right. So this next question is a combination question from Dylan and Turlook. So Nina, based on just the titles of the Gundam series and what little glimpses you've had of them, what, if any, are you really interested in watching? So a couple of titles have really stood out to me. There are a lot of great titles of Gundam series. Stardust Memory? Like, what? <laughs> uh, but Reconquista in G, because does it have anything to do with an actual Reconquista? <laughs> I need to clarify, it's Reconquista with a G. Okay, fine. <laughs> Whatever. That's not how you would say it in Spanish, but fine. Uh, but yeah, that one is one where It feels like they're marking a parallel, but are they actually? Or did they just think it's a cool word? Uh, And the other one is war in the pocket. Like, what the heck does that mean? Nice. Those are good choices. Listeners also had a lot of questions about how the podcast has affected Tom's perceptions of the show that he's been a fan of for such a long time. Thanks again, King, 
and Charlie W. wanted to know how this close reading of Gundam has changed his perspective of the franchise and if there are parts of the show that he's begun to appreciate more thanks to the podcast, uh, as well as those same kinds of questions, but specifically for Zeta. How has your impression of Zeta changed since the first time you watched it? Uh, it would be very difficult for me to overstate how much of an impact on my Gundam fandom doing this podcast project has had. I look at the show very differently than I did before. You know, I always knew that there was a lot going on, but it was a little bit like standing on a dock looking down at the water and knowing that there's probably a lot of stuff in the water, but not being able to see any of it and then just sort of jumping into the water and feeling for yourself, whether it's rocks or barnacles or squid. To be more specific, probably the biggest thing that has changed for me is looking at the show through the lens of the podcast allows me to take episodes apart and see how each of the different pieces of the episode, the animation, the dialogue, the art design, the structure of each episode and how the episodes work together and how the different scenes work together and see how all of those elements are being used to convey the story and the themes of the story in different ways. And to see that it really is not just that the themes are in the dialogue or that the themes are in the animation. It's all a comprehensive package. And I had never really understood that before. As for Zeta specifically, the first time I watched Zeta, I probably watched it in the worst possible way, which is to say I had already learned most of the story from Gundam video games and I hadn't seen first Gundam yet. <laughs> no way. Yep. It wasn't available. I joke about this sometimes, but we're watching it in production order. Some people say that you should watch it in chronological order based on the events in each show. But all of the debate around this is kind of silly because for most fans outside of Japan, we watched it in whatever was available order. Discovery order. We watched it in which VHS did your friend have order, which is why my very first Gundam property was Endless Waltz. I assume that's funny if you know what Endless Waltz is. It is. Charlie G. and Steve B. had some very similar uh, questions to each other. They wanted to know, which series are you most looking forward to reviewing? Not necessarily a favorite, the one you most want to research and talk about. And if you could break the established schedule and jump ahead, what would you want to jump ahead to and why? All right, so the answer to this is also going to cover Dylan's question, which is what series am I most dreading watching? Ha! <laughs> And in a way, I'm really looking forward to the one that I'm going to hate the most, which is when we spend an entire year watching Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny. It actually might be more like two years because each one is 50 episodes long. You fill me with dread also. <laughs> See, the problem with Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny is that they're bad. Um, but the other problem with it is that after they aired on TV, a few years later, Sunrise went back and they made a high definition remaster, but they didn't just remaster it. They remade a lot of it. They took out a lot of the stock reused animation and put in new animation. They put in a lot more fan service. They redrew some of the terrible faces. They did a lot is what I'm saying. I've only ever seen the original TV version. I haven't actually seen the HD remaster. But because they did it years later, if we were to follow the strict order of the podcast production that we've laid out, we would have to watch all of the original TV versions, wait years, real-time years, and then watch it all again, 
We are not going to do that. What we've discussed is doing them as side-by-sides. Yes. Watching the first episode of each together so that in addition to talking about the contents, we can talk about the changes and changes we liked, changes we didn't like, why we think they changed certain things. So that's the one I'm most dreading, actually kind of looking forward to, and the one time we're going to break our established order. So each week for that one, we will have to watch two episodes of Seed or Seed Destiny. And it'll be the same episode. Ish. Ish. Finally, we have a question from the other Tom. Are there any series where you are considering switching to watching with the dub instead of the sub? Nope. I really like listening to the Japanese and reading the subtitles. And I think there's something to be said for the sub experience being the closest to the intended experience that the creators wanted us to have. At least as close as we're able to get, you know, being non-native Japanese speakers. I do think there's some value in reviewing the dub as a dub. And that's something we've done in the past when we had our friend Edward on. It's something we'll do again in the future as we go forward. Hokage of Baltimore asks, if you could have any guest on the podcast, living or dead, who would your top five choices be? So I can't name the specific people that I want for this because the specific people that I would want to interview are not the directors, the chief animators, not the people who get interviewed all the time for this kind of thing. I want to talk to the sponsor representatives who were actually calling the shots for a lot of these decisions. And I want to talk to production assistants. I want to talk to the people who were not making decisions, but were present for everything. Especially because these sorts of people are much less likely to be managed and handled by PR reps. What I thought was very funny in Hokage's question is they say, I figured limiting it to just one would make it too easy to pick Tomino, but I would never pick Tomino for this ever, ever. I would like to hear the new lies that Tomino would tell us. Yeah, I just, uh, (laughs) I don't think we would get a straight answer out of Tomino about most of the things we have questions about. If we could get Tomino to promise that he would answer our questions about his mother, then I would want to interview him. Or his father or his family life. Part of me wants to talk to his like wife and daughters. Interview request, Tomino's wife. Based on his personality, he doesn't seem necessarily like a sort of hostile interviewee, but I really don't know what he would think about this whole project that we're doing. Like, I don't know if he'd be flattered by it, that people are taking his work seriously, or if he'd be like, guys, it's just an animated show. Like, (laughs) what a waste of your time. And so I don't know how constructive (laughs) that conversation would be. All right, Nina. Now we're into the category of just for fun questions about Gundam. Bazooka Bubblegum Jim asks, do you feel as though mobile suits are a realistic technology that might come in the future? If not, What technologies from Gundam do you see coming true? So no, I don't really, for the simple fact that we have drones. Why on earth would we put very trained pilots who are a limited resource inside the death machine when instead we can have them pilot the death machine from the safety of very far from the battle? You basically need a... Minovsky particle style, like, oh no, the radio signals can't travel that far. You can't control it remotely. Like, something would need to come up in that vein to justify the pursuit of a technology like mobile suits. 
But do I think space travel is going to become more common? Yes. Do I think we're going to start mining asteroids? Probably. I think mobile suits are going to happen. Oh, really? Not as an effective military technology. Mobile suits are going to happen because there is something in us that loves human-shaped robots we can pilot. <laughs> the popularity of the mecha genre across the world is a testament to this. Mobile suits are going to happen, and they're going to be a toy, and they're going to be a sport. Okay, I buy that. Like when people make battle robots, but it'll be mechs. Right. Okay. Russ wants to know, should Amro and Shar just be honest about their feelings and kiss already? That would destroy all of the tension of the show. Also, it would probably be good for them, but it would be the end of Gundam as a interesting and dramatic story. Oh, I think it would be terrible for both of them. Like admitting they have the feelings would be good, but they are such different personalities that there's no way that's tenable. Their attitudes <laughs> towards the war are so completely at odds. They would just be toxic for each other. They already are toxic for each other. Imagine how much worse if they had a like admitted romantic relationship <laughs> or attachment. They would just be better able to hurt each other. But see, I think a lot of the toxicity comes from suppressing their feelings for one another. And they're sublimating these feelings they have for each other into this violent competition. But fundamentally, Char likes war and likes to kill people. And Amuro doesn't. You know, separate spheres. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would ever be good for either of them, but. MRX-010 asks, are Gundam boys a renewable resource? I would say as long as we still have humans, then yes, there will always be sad, hurt, traumatized young men. The best part about this is that they're actually self-generating. They will create more sad, hurt, traumatized young men. Yes. Yes, they will. <laughs> Crimson would like to know, if you were to create a playlist themed for any Gundam character, who would you choose and what are some songs you would pick? MRX010 asked a very similar question. What would be on different characters' personal playlists? This is a pretty big question. And it's actually something that we've thought about doing. So we're going to punt on this question and say that we're going to answer it eventually by just making some themed playlists. So look forward to that. Charlie G wants to know, when an MS's eyes flash, do you think that there's like a button in the cockpit that the pilot presses when they want to be super extra? Absolutely. I agree. This is a silly question, but it actually has a serious answer. We know that the eyes are not the only cameras that the mobile suit has. They can see in every direction, and the eyes only look in the one direction, especially if you've got a mono eye, which, while it can track around, is clearly not the only method that the pilot has of seeing what's going on around them. That means the eye is some sort of special extra main camera. And from the research we've done in the past, I'm pretty sure that the eyes of the mobile suits are using LIDAR, a kind of laser-based radar that Nina has researched in the past. That means when the eye flashes, it's probably sending out a laser pulse. So yes, there's probably a button in the cockpit that they can press to send out that laser pulse. I don't think it's labeled be more extra. I mean, the fact that they made the giant fighty space robots humanoid shape and gave them quote unquote eyes to begin with is pretty <laughs> extra. <laughs> 
Toby F. and Turlook wanted to know if there were places from the show so far, so First Gundam and Zeta Gundam, that we would like to visit, places we would most like to go or places we would most like to live from the world of these two series. Here's the thing. We're both civilian adults, so our role in Gundam would mostly be to get blown up. So I want to go to the place in Gundam that is the least likely to be blown up. I would like to go to Jupiter. I thought you might go there. It's also the only place where an already grown-up adult might become a new type. Thanks for giving me hope, Shalia Bull. But we haven't actually seen Jupiter. We have no idea what it's like. So I'm very torn. I quite like nature, but Earth is also super polluted and war-torn and horrible, and only the elites get to live there anyway. So uh, I would probably pick one of the sides. I think the sides look really cool. Obviously, lots of societal problems, but as a place to live, they look pretty neat. I would I would be down to spend a couple of years living on one of the sides. How do you feel about recreation and livestock? <laughs> Not big into the desert. Would prefer one of the places with like forests and fields. I also don't know anything about herding cattle. I thought you lived in Texas. Oh, yes. And everybody, the moment they move there, gets their own private herd part of the state charter. <laughs> a couple of people had questions about non-animated Gundam properties, which are not within the ambit of the podcast. Ian B. asked, have we read the novelizations of the various Gundam series? Are we planning to cover them? If not, what are our thoughts? And I'll say a lot of the novelizations have not been translated, at least not officially. I haven't read them in Japanese. Some of them I don't want to read because of my knowledge about what's in them. And many of them are just not particularly relevant or not particularly good. I started the novelizations of First Gundam twice and never made it very far. Uh, it feels like a science textbook. It was not a prose style that really grabbed me. Uh, and we have so much other stuff to cover <laughs> that I don't really have time to force myself to read things <laughs> that I don't want to read. We have a little book club in the Mobile Suit Breakdown patrons discord. The first book selected for the book club was the novelizations of First Gundam. And this is a group of book loving, Gundam loving people. And very few readers actually finished those books. Brainchild asks, Tom, if you had your choice of any existing Gundam side story, manga, book or anime to release in English, what would you pick and why? So let me preface this by saying there are Gundam manga that have been partially released in English, and I think it'd be great if those were finished. École du ciel. That's one of them. <laughs> I'll also say, for my personal convenience and benefit, I would really like it if the SD Gundam shorts were officially released with real English subtitles, because they haven't been, and that's going to be real inconvenient for the podcast in a few years. But all of that aside... I think that Gundam at this point with 40 years of history is at its best when it's playing with the format, doing weird things, breaking with the Gundam traditions, and going off into new genres. We can only retell the story of First Gundam and Zeta so many times, but things like G Gundam or Build Fighters, however you may feel about them, really do stand out from the rest. So... The Gundam side story that I want released in English is Magical Ensign Blaster Mari, a magical girl story about a, I think, middle school girl living in the colonies who is given magical powers by Sharaznable on a white horse. What? <laughs> which she then uses to defend her colony. 
That sounds amazing. It's never been released in English, and it should be. Michael B. wanted to know whether I was going to be feeding Nina information from the expanded universe, whether I plan to do it in order to explain extra plot or clarify things, or if we're going to be comparing the original work to the anime adaptation, for example, with Origin, Twilight Axis, Thunderbolt, Narrative, Unicorn, stuff like that. The answer is basically no. We're really interested in viewing these anime projects as works entire. I will occasionally let slip a few details, like the bit about how Sela ends up running an orphanage, and some of that stuff is just fun. It doesn't spoil anything or really change anything, and I might let that slip out, but I'm not going to be doing it in any kind of structured, concerted way. Next, we have a few questions about the podcasts, as Tom put it, pod past. Listeners Turluk, Kay Beckham, and Paragon had questions about our favorite episode of the podcast so far and the most surprising things we've learned or our favorite, uh, as they put it, cocktail facts that we have picked up from making the podcast. Can I just open by saying... I have a very efficient brain, which means that the minute an episode is over, I forget everything from the episode <laughs> and start working on the next one. And so I do not have a favorite episode because I mostly don't remember what we talked about. I have to go back and look at the show notes. If I'm like, <laughs> what did, when did we talk about, you know, X research piece and dig through all the show notes to find it? I don't even keep my scripts. Tom keeps all of his scripts, but I, I have a template and I wipe it clean at the end of every episode and start fresh. That's like a metaphor. Yep. I'll say probably my favorite thing that I've learned throughout the whole process of making the podcast takes us all the way back to episode 1.11 and the extremely bureaucratic system for taking revenge. Oh, that was a good one. In medieval Japan. I was really fond of the War Pigeons piece. Oh, that one was so good. I really liked the piece I did about Yakeato, so the, the people who were young children when the Second World War happened in Japan and who grew up to be activists and to do a lot of anti-war writing, devising, creating, agitating. <laughs> <laughs> because it really did feel emblematic of... The, the kind of ethos that we get in the writing of these first couple of Gundam series. Listener Needs More Sharma wants to know, what is the sequence of events that led to us deciding to undertake MSB? And what was the creative process like during conception? So right around Christmas or New Year's 2017, uh, Tom looked at me and he said, oh, the 40th anniversary of Gundam is coming up. Would you be willing to watch all of it with me? And I had in my head uh, something about either like Julie and Julia or one of those projects where someone became somewhat famous for undertaking, you know, every recipe in this one Julia Child cookbook or completing all of these projects or, you know, they had some really big goal that had to do with someone else's sort of like oeuvre or work production. Uh, and then they documented their experience with it and it got them famous. And so I thought, okay, if we are going to undertake to watch 40 years worth of this anime, I don't think I just want to watch it. <laughs> we should try to do something with it. 
And the more we thought about it, the more attached to the idea we got. I know we started brainstorming titles. Uh, when we got home from vacation, we watched the first couple of episodes. I mentioned earlier, we wanted to see, like, is there actually enough to talk about to do this? I had been listening to a lot of podcasts recently, which is probably why I thought podcast was the format for us. At one point, we discussed doing something like short five-minute videos or it wasn't necessarily going to be a podcast. There was some discussion of blogging. And after we did our first watch through, which we watched the first four or five episodes, I think, we had a lot of questions, <laughs> which sent us to the library. And we took you know, a few months <laughs> to read books and write outlines and think about all the questions that we'd had. And then we came back and discussed our answers to them. And that was the moment when we thought, oh, this could work. Yeah, that was probably where we first had the idea to do research segments in each episode. I would say we spent probably three months just reading dozens of books, and I read every interview with Tomino that I could find in English. Lots of general historical and societal background, some commentary on mecha media specifically, on anime specifically. And then in late July 2018, um, we had already recorded our initial thoughts months ago at that point on those first four episodes. And so in late July, I sat down and I started poking at the audio. I googled free audio editor, <laughs> ended up on Audacity and started teaching myself how to edit a podcast. And the process of making it led us to a lot of other realizations about what the format was going to need to be. Things like, oh, we should include recaps of the episodes so that you can listen to our podcast and understand what's going on, even if you haven't just watched the show. Speaking of our process, listener Sean wanted to know, uh, now that we've been doing the podcast for over a year, how do we talk about format changes? Which ones sort of happen naturally? Are there format changes we would like to make but have not yet been able to? I think they've all been pretty organic. Uh, things like, oh, we should tell people what all we're going to talk about in the episode. <laughs> and then we should tell them again in, at various points throughout the episode. Like, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, when you make a creative thing like this, it's very difficult to put yourself in the headspace of a person who is listening to it and not making it. Because when you're making it, you're thinking, well, of course, now is the research section. And of course, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z because we've been researching that all week. And you forget that for a person who's just listening to the show, they might appreciate knowing what's coming. And things like doing the last time ons, which eventually became the TNNs for this season. There was some episode in First Gundam where I looked up and I said, you know, it's been a week since they listened to the last episode. They might not actually remember what happened. And I think the TNNs really came out of a lot of the research we were doing about like counter-revolutionaries and police forces and colonial powers and propaganda around all of that. And Zeta is the moment where you see the authoritarian military force and the economic, commercial, industrial interests intersect and become not the same problem, but a very closely interconnected problem. Plus Tom's natural creative impulses. <laughs> so I would say it's all been pretty organic. And that also means we don't really have 
changes that we want to make but haven't done yet. <laughs> if we wanted to make them, we would. Yeah. Uh, anything that we want to do but have not yet been able to do tends to be more logistical. So we're thinking about getting me a new microphone, but we haven't done that yet because that requires a certain amount of research into what would be good. And then we have to go test things and choose and all of that good stuff. We would like to get a few episodes ahead in our production schedule, <laughs> but that's not really a, a question of like coming up with something to change. That's just a matter of somehow getting more done in the same amount of time. That's a nice transition into the next question from Uwu Type or Agile Suit Gun Guy. What is our biggest criticism of our podcast making process? There are two things that I see as sort of big flaws in our podcast making process. The first and probably the most intractable is that, especially for the talkback, the conversational portions, our ability to do that is very dependent on us being in a good mood. <laughs> and we are pretty moody people. <laughs> as it turns out. And so if one of us wakes up on the wrong side of the bed one morning or feels sick and low energy or is grumpy, or if we get into an argument about something, we can't record. It's just not possible. It turns out having frank conversations about your views and opinions is really hard if you're feeling vulnerable or defensive. <laughs> and so <laughs> we've had to end sessions because one or the other of us will get really upset with the other, uh, and we have to stop. And we'd be like, okay, both of us need to go. <laughs> cool down. Take cheer some up. Time. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll come back to this when we're in a better mood. Yeah. So I have PTSD, which I used to be a lawyer. And one of the reasons I can't do that anymore is because whether or not I can work is very dependent on my emotional state. And it's variable. Uh, I've never been diagnosed with any sort of mental health issue, uh, but I am prone to bouts of anxiety. Uh, and like anybody, I can have you know, bad days, bad moods. I think it's been good for us both to recognize and be, to be able to say like, okay, this recording session is not working. We're both going to go do something else for a little while and we'll come back to this later. But it's also very frustrating because we're on a deadline. <laughs> and I think that brings us to the second problem that Nina mentioned earlier, which is everything takes too long and we do not have enough time. Yeah, listener Lavienne Rose asked uh, what research pieces we've wanted to do but haven't had time or resources for, and uh, if we've had research pieces that we've begun but couldn't finish. I wish we had more time to read. <laughs> Any research piece that requires a book that I cannot access online, it's out. If I can't read it online, we don't have time to go to the library, check out a book, bring it home, and read enough of it to finish a research piece within a week, less or than a week. request it, wait several days, and then get it. Right, if it's not already available. And unfortunately, that means that once we start a research piece, we are committed to it. We don't have enough time to spend a day researching something, realize it's not going to work, and then start over again. Occasionally, if we have too many research ideas for one episode, I will do like a quick search on two of them and see which one appears to have the most easily accessible or most interesting information. But that's something I'll do over the course of an hour or two. And then I will call it and say, okay, this is the one I'm doing. And as we mentioned earlier, when we started this project, we spent months just reading background materials. We would like to be able to do that again as we go forward, but there's just no time for it in the podcast making production process. 
And as we get further into the future, into the late 80s and then the 90s, there are probably going to be times when we need to take significant breaks between seasons in order to prep for the next one. I think that will change quite a bit as we get closer and closer to the present day, because there's going to be fewer and fewer books the closer we get to now. It's going to be more articles. It's going to be more academic journals. Wu Type also asked us about our proudest improvements. Uh, and I have to give all the credit for this one to Tom because I think the improvements in our audio quality have been really amazing from that first episode to now. Thank you. Well, it helps that we stopped recording in a swimming pool. We never actually recorded in a swimming pool. It just sounds like we did. But Tom has sort of taken on the responsibility to be our producer and sound engineer, and I think he's done a really stellar job. So I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm very proud of that improvement in the podcast. A couple of people asked about the future of the podcast. So Michael B. would like to know, have we given any thought to what we will do if or when the podcast catches up to currently airing Gundam and there is no new Gundam to do? Would we do an MSB style analysis of a different anime series? I'm of two minds about this. My impulsive response is to say Revolutionary Girl Utna because I remember watching it the first time and with the friends that I watched it with, we spent the whole time being like, oh, what do you think that symbolizes? And what do you think that means? And I think this is really about X, but so-and-so thinks it's really about Y. We had so much fun trying to dissect the meaning of the show that that feels like it would be good fodder. But from a practical perspective, I think what would make sense is for us to do other mecha shows. <laughs> <laughs> That would feel like the most natural thing for MSB to look at. And they don't necessarily have to be like a big sprawling franchises. We could look at some of the stuff they have on Netflix, look at some of the newer shows that are coming out, pick up some of the other Tomino stuff that's older, you know, things that maybe only had one run. Uh, because at that point, we've done a lot of Gundam and we have this interesting point of contrast in addition to whatever new stuff is in this show that we've never seen before. All right. Alternate question from Hokage of Baltimore. If you had to do a show like MSB, but about some other media franchise, what would it be and why? And this is a difficult question because what else is there quite like Gundam? The comparison I always make for Americans who have some familiarity with science fiction, but not necessarily with anime, is to compare it to Star Trek. But there's already people doing that. <laughs> yeah, and we're just not big Star Trek fans, either of us. Yeah, but I'm, I didn't necessarily mean it as a suggestion for us, but as a, a similar sort of franchise. I guess in terms of similarly long-running shows, something like Kamen Rider, but again... Neither one of us is a fan. So not entirely facetious response, The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're like 30 years old at this point, aren't they? Yep. A person could absolutely do this kind of thing about The Simpsons. I think that's less interesting for us because we remember most of the events that The Simpsons is commenting on <laughs> in a pretty like personal lived experience kind of way. Grew up watching The Simpsons. Uh you know, lived in the United States when those things were happening. 
we wouldn't get as much out of, let's look back on these historical events from the 80s and 90s. But in another 10 to 20 years, some young person might be like, hey, let's let's do a deep dive on that Simpsons show. <laughs> we can only hope to inspire the young people to do MSB-like projects. Crimson asks, one of my favorite developments in the podcast is the addition of the Titans News Network. Do you have any other ideas for new segments for MSB? And if so, what are they? No. <laughs> I do. What? Well, I know what's coming. That's fair. But I can't tell you about them because those would be spoilers for you and for Nina. Yeah, at this point, most of my creative muscle goes towards thinking of possible new Titans News Network segments <laughs> for Tom. Uh, I don't write the segments, but I will frequently help him come up with what they should be based on. Speaking of which, sort of just now. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. And I guess for Tom's ideas, you're just going to have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, the Titans News Network has been um, controversial, we shall say. It's the first part of the podcast that we got really negative comments about, but it's also one of the parts of the podcast that we've gotten the most positive comments about. So It's not actually the first. We got a very negative comment about my presence. <laughs> that was our first truly negative comment. <laughs> Having to listen to a woman talking about Gundam is very offensive. Apparently. <laughs> it ruined it for this guy. Uh, but after that... <laughs> Titans News Network. How dare you? <laughs> some people love it. Some people hate it. It's very polarizing. But sometimes as an artist, you just have to trust your artistic impulse. I'm sure that I'll look back on it in a few years and think it was all terrible. Just like Domino. <laughs> Finally, we had a couple of questions about other media. In particular... Hokage of Baltimore wanted to know, are there any non-Gundam series that we would label as Gundam series? And if so, what is the most ridiculous answer you can logically defend? So the conventional answer to this question is that there actually are a couple of series that were made as Gundam series, but with the name taken off. The most famous of these is Code Geass, which was made right after Gundam Seed Destiny, when the Gundam name was carrying around a lot of baggage. And if the stories are true, some creatives at Sunrise sat down and they said, let's make a Gundam series, but Char is going to be the main character and it's not going to have Gundam in the name. They wanted to launch a new independently successful franchise and Code Geass was reasonably successful. They managed to do that. But like I said, that's the conventional answer and it's not the interesting answer. So if a Gundam series is any near future horny melodrama about mechs and teens with special psychic powers, then Full Metal Panic is a Gundam series. But the truly enlightened answer is that a Gundam series is any long-running, commercially successful franchise that makes Tomino sad. Therefore, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a Gundam series. I was trying to remember the name of the motorcycle ballerina one. Oh, Rideback. <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to think of any show that I've ever watched that has robots in it. And that I could make the argument as a Gundam series, but I was coming out blank. The magic school bus. <laughs> Take chances. Get messy. Make mistakes. That's the Gundam motto. <laughs> it transforms. Oh, yeah. The magic school bus is absolutely a mech. 
I think it's more of a mobile armor, though. Miss Fizzle is like a Char Asnable shaping all these impressionable young minds for science. Next week, we open the floor for debate in our first forum episode as we ask you to weigh in. We'll be sharing hot takes on the Hyakushiki and the meaning of Gundam. Some mini research pieces provided by listeners. Rampant speculation. And who is the real space Hitler anyway? Still no tears of time, though. Those are on back order for another week. Remember to do all of the podcast things. Subscribe and review Mobile Suit Breakdown wherever you get your podcasts. Then pledge your undying devotion to Mobile Suit Breakdown on Patreon, where you can find great bonus content, get access to the MSB Discord, get exclusive MSB merchandise, and, you know, support the podcast. You can also follow at Gundam Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and like us at facebook.com slash Gundam Podcast for all kinds of extra content. And you should always check out our website, GundamPodcast.com, for all of our episodes, show notes, watch list, wish list, some other lists, and more. Plus, you can always email your questions, comments, and complaints to GundamPodcast at gmail.com. No wrong Gundam opinion this week. All Gundam opinions are valid. The intro song is Wasp by Misha Dioxin. And the closing music is Long Way Home by Spinning Ratio. You can find links and more in the show notes. And thank you for listening. I can't say I'm proud of this improvement because from the moment we started running the Patreon and doing all of the fulfillment for that and managing the money and like from the moment this went from being a hobby to a business you have been like doing an a plus knock it out of the park job on that there's no arc of improvement to look to (laughs) one last question which is about a series near and dear to my heart escaplone because i'm not going to pass up an opportunity to talk about escaplone on this podcast because I'm still trying to convince Nina that Escaplone should be the next thing we cover after we finish Gundam. Action Awesome asks, What is it that I love most about Escaplone? What is my favorite Gaimelef? Gaimelef being the Escaplone term for Mecha, because every series has to have its own for trademark reasons. The thing I like most about Escaplone is it is an emotionally sensitive show that knows it is. And it's a show about masculinity and femininity where the main male character is constantly exploring what kind of man he wants to be and challenging ideas about what masculinity should mean for him. But his own personal development is never made more important than the lives and feelings of the people around him, which is pretty rare and I think pretty cool. As for my favorite guy, Melif, I'm going to punt on this one and say it's a category. I really have a soft spot for scenes where a whole bunch of veteran good guys just get wrecked by the bad guys. So I'm going to say that my favorite guy, Melifs are all of the old school samurai inspired guy, Melifs piloted by the generals of Finalia in the second episode when they all get wrecked by the super high tech invisible Zybok guy, Melifs. 
I don't want to make you like insert something back into a conversation that was ages ago and I don't even know that it would fit properly but like I did not get a chance to say for a show that has so many interesting female characters Gundam seems really reluctant to give us a woman protagonist yeah and it's unfortunate and I think having a Ursula K. Le Guin written Gundam series might just fix that problem possibly She certainly could write that, but not all of her protagonists are women. But especially if Ikuhara is directing. Mm. But yeah, I find it endlessly frustrating that women are expected to be interested in shows about men, but there's this sense that men can't possibly be interested in a show about women, so we're not going to make one. And despite a cast full of strong women and interesting women and complicated women, none of them are allowed to be the protagonist. Like, this could be a show about four. Four could be our protag. I would watch a show about four. But that's not what we get. I'd like to tell you that that problem is going to be fixed in the future. It's certainly going to be different. (laughs) I don't know that I like... I don't think I like the sound of that. (laughs) 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 (laughs)